Welcome to this episode of the Insights Podcast on the Huddle Network. I'm Don Mills. And I'm David Campbell. David, very interesting conversation with Glenn Squires, the uh, CEO of Pacrim Hospitality Services, the company that uh, manages uh, and is a partial owner of Digby Pines. They have big plans for that property, which has been, I guess, lagging in terms of investment for many years under the ownership of the province of uh, Nova Scotia. It was sold in um, 2019, I believe to a group that included uh, Glenn's company um, and the Bear River First Nations. And so we thought this was a good opportunity to talk uh, with Glenn about what their plans are for the redevelopment of the Digby Pines. Um, a very interesting conversation. Yeah, absolutely. These, if you want a thriving tourism sector, you have to have these anchors, these big draws that are attracting people from across Canada and the U.S. and certainly Digby Pines the vision we heard from Glenn is that they want to be such an anchor for uh, for the tourism area in that part of Nova Scotia. So just just a really interesting conversation, interesting challenges, but interesting opportunities as well. Looking to invest upwards of 125 million over the next five to seven years to build new services to to do more things year round and experiences. Um, growing the the headcount from 160 today to 300 within a few years. So certainly lots of lots of great opportunity. Uh, and again, uh, will be important to growing that tourism, tourism sector in that part of Nova Scotia. Yeah, and as a long term patron of the pines, you know, I saw it deteriorate over many years. As they say, it's a property with great bones. And uh, however, some of those bones needed to be repaired. A lot of a lot of the investment almost $10 million to date has been behind the scenes where nobody sees what's being done, but it's really all related to HVAC, uh, to be able to operate the resort on a year-round basis, to be able to heat the place properly and air condition it properly, um, and uh, big dollars. Uh, but most of that work is now done, including, by the way, a brand new roof for that facility. And I don't know if you've seen it up front, but it's a big roof. <laughs> Must have cost a few bucks to do that. Uh, so uh, the thing that I like about Glenn, uh, he's a you know he's been in the hospitality business his whole career. Very experienced, very knowledgeable. He understands the business as well as anybody in this province, uh, in this region, and like he's just full of really interesting ideas of what that property can be including partnering uh, with First Nations on experiential uh, programming, um, exper uh, you know, partnering with NSCC in terms of providing a culinary um, training uh, opportunity for their students. Uh, all those things are important, I think. And uh, like, um, I think their commitment uh, to build out that, uh, that vision is uh, very uh, interesting for that community. And uh, we talked about a couple of things that I think um, uh, were important. One, the challenges around recruitment, which is a recurring theme, uh, the importance of ferries. You know, it's a wide ranging, very interesting uh, conversation about uh, really tourism uh, uh, in this in this region. Absolutely. And one of the things I've been arguing for for a number of years now is that the community college system in Atlantic Canada needs to get out and get closer to where the demand is. 
And so I've talked to the Nova Scotia Community College folks. So this idea of, 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 of and he talks about it in the play, of partnering with Nova Scotia Community College uh, uh, out in Digby and actually having uh, students on site and things like that, it, that's very, very good because, you know, in the past we used to bring the students into some central campus somewhere uh, and then hope that they'd go out where the actual jobs are. And so the more we can do, and anchors like Digby Pines are good for that, they can actually, you know, they can have students on site even as they have their normal operations. So I think this is a really great idea, not only for tourism, but for all sectors, even healthcare. If you need uh, nursing assistants and home care workers in Yarmouth, why train them in Halifax? Train them in Yarmouth. And they'll be far more likely to stay in Yarmouth in the long run. So I think that sort of college being more more uh, uh, receptive to moving to where the jobs are actually going to be and doing the training where the jobs are going to be is very, very important. And you're right about the ferry. He's very passionate about that. I think the listeners will find that discussion uh, very interesting. Yeah. You know, when we had Don Bureau on the um, president of the NSCC, he talked about working with industry directly. Uh, I know that he's on side for this. And, you know, uh, they're talking about providing program to up to 100 students. You know, that's a very significant uh, potential relationship. We'll have to uh, follow that and see what happens. Uh, he also mentioned and um, going offshore for workers and the need to build housing for those workers. Uh, this is a, a common problem that we're seeing with some of the discussions about uh, property uh, operations like this across the province and the region. Kevin Todd, uh, uh, uh from the uh, Fox Harbor talked about needing uh, housing for workers as well. So there's a lot of recurring themes here um, um, when we when we talk about labor force challenges and some some innovations starting to come out from pri the private sector about how to deal with housing issues and uh, and the like. Yeah, absolutely. It's we're seeing it as a challenge across. The region, and we'll be talking certainly more about that as the weeks go on here on the Insights podcast. So uh, this is a very interesting conversation with a seasoned um, uh, veteran when it comes to hospitality management. Uh, I think the, our listeners will uh, enjoy this conversation with Glenn Squires. Here it is. Glenn, welcome to our podcast. Nice to be here, Don. Good to be uh, good to be with you. So, Glenn, you've been involved in the hospitality industry for a long time. Can you provide our listeners with a better understanding of how you got involved in the hospitality sector and your career uh, up until now? Yeah, sure. I've been, uh, it's been my entire career. Uh, I started actually working at a Holiday Inn in St. John's, Newfoundland when I was going to university and uh, started my career with a company called Atlific Hotels and Resorts, who at that time was one of only two companies that had the right to franchise Holiday Inns in Canada. And I worked with uh, Adlific until 1994 when I joined Fortis Inc. and uh, established the hospitality division, the hotel division under Fortis. Uh, we acquired our, some of our acquisitions were the Holiday Inns in Newfoundland. We also bought the Delta, the Holiday Inn and the Keddies in Sydney. Then in 1997, my longtime friend, Ted Good, uh, asked me to join PacRim. We had helped develop some hotels with PacRim in the mid-90s, uh, but I was given a, a, an ownership opportunity, so I joined PacRim in 1997 and subsequently increased my interest there and partnered with the Aquilini family out of Vancouver uh, uh, 
and were partners with them for about 20 years. And then in 2006, I did an IPO for Holloway Lodging REIT. Uh, and uh, 2012, I became the global chairman for the Intercontinental Hotel Owners Association and represented about 5,000 owners on a global basis. And really since 19, uh, well, since 2012, I've really been working on succession with my son and I've been taking a lesser role in the day-to-day activities while he steps up and we've changed our profile. Uh, We had had about 65 hotels across North America. We're down to 10 hotels now and we'll continue to modify that with a uh, really a focus on Atlantic Canada is where uh, where my son John wants to uh, wants to spend his time. So Pack Rim Hospitality is a privately owned hotel management development firm. You've got a portfolio here of eight hotels. Can you tell us about these hotels, the brands and where they're located? And if you could uh, roughly how many employees you have? Yeah, sure. Uh, Our properties, Atlantic Canada, we have the Holiday Inn and Deer Lake, which we built. The Hampton Inn and Truro, which we developed in uh, partnership with Millbrook First Nation. Uh, the Super 8 in Amherst, which we built a number of years ago with Steve Maltby. Uh, the True in Yarmouth, which we developed about 24 months ago with Acadia First Nation. Uh, the Digby Pines, uh, the Radisson Kingswood. We have two properties in Saskatchewan, uh, both uh, choice hotels, one in Kindersley, one in Moose Jaw. And we have two U.S. properties. We have a Crown Plaza just outside New York City. And we have a hotel Indigo on the Gulf of Mexico at Gulf Shores, Alabama. So that's, uh, and we'll probably dispose of the two U.S. properties and uh, and look for opportunities within the region. Rough idea of how many people you employ, uh, Glenn? Uh, probably between four and five hundred right now, I would think. Obviously, in our interest industry, it fluctuates based on seasonality, but probably during our peak season, it's around five hundred. I want to talk about uh, the current fiscal situation a little bit. Obviously, we've been in a period of really low interest rates. It's been helpful for somebody in your business in terms of financing uh, projects and redevelopments. Um, What impact, if any, have uh, the rising interest rates had on your plans? Well, certainly the overall atmosphere, even prior to interest rates beginning to increase, the significant rise in goods and the difficulty in supply chain and finding labor had put a damper on new development. And I think the uh, even though that's beginning to ease a little bit, I think the interest rates are going to cramp that. I mean, certainly the cost of development hotels, particularly in urban centers, uh, the development time frame is fairly long. Uh, the cost per room is such. Uh, that it makes viability very, very difficult. Um, you know, uh, about four years ago, we began to exit our urban properties in Atlantic Canada, mainly because we thought that the markets were getting overbuilt and that it was gonna to be tough to achieve any kind of exit value for maybe a period of eight or 10 years. I guess we were lucky in that we didn't know that COVID was going to come, but you know, when we have the, the addition of additional inventory in the marketplace uh, and, you know, the the time that it's going to take us to recover, even though the summer was quite strong, I think the off-season business is going to take a little bit longer to come back. It makes the economics very, very difficult. One of the most important trends in recent 
years in Atlanta, Canada has been the rise of First Nations economic development. We've seen a lot of important uh, projects across Atlantic Canada. You, in 2018, partnered with the Bear River First Nations uh, on the purchase of Digby Pines, an iconic um, uh, facility in Digby that has a, a long history. It was owned by the government of uh, Nova Scotia at the time and had been uh, deteriorating. Can you tell us a bit about that project uh, uh, and, and, uh, and why you purchased it and your plans? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'll just take a step back for a moment on First Nations. We've been one of the most active developers and partners of First Nations with hotels across Canada. Uh, we've done close to 15. Uh, we've done we've worked with the Innu in the Northwest Territories, the Miccosoo Cree in Fort McMurray, uh, the Alberta Indian Investment uh, Federation in Alberta, the Grand Circle Band on Manitoulin Island, uh, Kingsclear, in New Brunswick, we've done five hotels with Millbrook. Uh, we did the True in Yarmouth, as I mentioned, with uh, uh, Acadia First Nation. And the Digby Pines, uh, we partnered with, uh, with Bear River. Uh, we've also done financing with Peace Hills Trust, which is a First Nation-owned financial institution out of Alberta. And... Uh, you know, we've done this over about 20 years. And, and, you know, so First Nations, we found to be outstanding partners. As I'd mentioned, we had made a decision several years ago that we wanted to exit some of the urban, urban markets. Uh, we felt that from a sale perspective, that we were probably close to the maximum that we were going to see. And we didn't see a lot of development opportunities. But we did believe that there were some significant opportunities in other parts of Atlantic Canada. We've done, uh, actually Digby is the 50th hotel project we've done in the Atlantic region. So we're pretty familiar with the turf, uh, everywhere from small communities like Karaket to Halifax and beyond. So we had been, uh, we had actually submitted proposals for the uh, provincial resorts on a couple of occasions before, and the government uh, had decided not to pull the trigger. So this time we went back again. We felt that it was a great asset. Uh, clearly, it was undervalued. We knew that there was work that needed to be done, but we saw that as the opportunity because we generally will try to build from the ground up if we think that that's the right place to be. But usually the more profitable properties are those that you can buy at a good price and, uh, and rehabil rehabilitate, reposition, and, uh, and build the value. So it sort of fit our wheelhouse. We had looked at, uh, you know, we had looked at Marble Mountain with the Newfoundland government. We had looked at uh, Celtic. Uh, we took a brief look at Liscombe Lodge, but uh, the one that we felt fit our profile best was the Digby Pines. As part of the province's uh, process or protocols, when they sell crown land or provincial government land, they have to consult with the closest First Nation group. So the province asked me to meet with Bear River. And when I met with them, because of my previous experience, I'd asked them if they would like to partner with us on Digby Pines. And they indicated that they would very much like to do so. We saw, not just from our past uh, experience working with First Nations, but from our positioning, uh, the story that we wanted to tell, and a number of other reasons, we thought it was a great uh, a great partnership. So. Uh, here we are today, as uh, as proud owners, uh, well underway with our uh, with our renovation project. 
Sure. So when you purchased the pines, you obviously did your due diligence in terms of the cost you were expecting to redevelop the resort to bring it back to its glory days. But did you encounter any unpleasant surprises about the property after you made the purchase? Yeah, the really uh, only sort of unpleasant surprise that we received was during the negotiating process. We'd been aware that there were some problems with the kitchen floor, which is on the subfloor of the property. And we were led to believe it was about 450000 But through engineering, we found out it was about $2.5 million. So uh, we were able to reach a reasonable compromise with the province that allowed us to close the sale. Uh, we've undertaken about $10 million in renovations. Obviously, with the age of the building, most of them are going back and correcting uh, structure, or not structure, but infrastructure like HVAC and that kind of stuff. And uh, I must say, for a building of that age, based on some previous projects that we've done, we've been very fortunate that there haven't been any other big, bad surprises. A few little ones, but nothing, nothing that we weren't able to handle in our stride. So it's our understanding that the province sold the property to your ownership group for $1 million with a commitment to invest nearly $7 million over the five years uh, from the purchase date. Obviously, you've exceeded that based on your um, telling us that you spent $10 million. But um, I guess my, uh, I'd like to find out that uh, – I've been to Digby recently. <laughs> I go almost every year, as you know. I like the place. It's a great place to be. Um, but you've got a lot more money to spend there, obviously. Uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about the plans for capital investment over the next few years. What, what are the priorities? Yeah, I mean, we had to, with the building that age, and obviously the province hadn't been investing a lot of money in there, so you had a you had the issue both of the plant and of the sort of cosmetic side of the business. And obviously, we felt before we started spending money, any significant money on the cosmetic side, we had to make sure that we had an airtight waterproof. Uh, and the other thing is that from the outset, it was our intention to take the property from a seasonal operation to a year-round operation. So the first big job that we had to do was put in a new heating and ventilation system uh, so that we could operate on a 12-month basis. I mean, the system that was there uh, wasn't the best. I mean, we were dealing with a lot of breakdowns and that kind of stuff. Uh, so we've we've tackled that. That should be finished shortly. We had to replace the roof. Uh, we had to replace all of the carpet in the guest rooms. Uh, the cottages, uh again, can't be operated during the winter. So we have to dig up all of the pipes and put the pipes down deeper. We have to replace all the roofs on the cottages. Uh, we have to significantly improve internet access. If we want to go after conferences and that kind of stuff, we've got to have far more reliable internet that we've had. And uh, we're in the process of doing that. So those are the main things that we've undertaken right now. But you know, given that, as you mentioned, that the purchase price was a million dollars and we were able to negotiate a million dollar credit for some of the kitchen work, uh, you know, our acquisition cost was pretty low. We know that to replace that infrastructure is very, very significant. I don't think you could build that main building today 
I just you just wouldn't be able to get a return on investment in in Nova Scotia to warrant it. So we knew that uh, that we had to commit to a lot more than the seven and a half million dollars. We had basically two commitments to the province. Number one is we would invest seven and a half million dollars within five years, and second of all is we would continue to operate it as a resort uh, for a minimum of five years. So we've surpassed the capital. A requirement, then clearly we're not investing this kind of capital unless we believe we're here for the long haul. So, I mean, our uh, our stated goal is to become recognized as one of the top 10 resorts in Canada. We know that in order to do that, uh, we have three elements. Number one is the capital, which is the physical product. Number two is our human resource product, which is a challenge in itself. And number, thir- number three is the uh, rebuilding or reimagining of the Digby Pines brand so that uh, it's synonymous with uh, with quality. So yes, Don, we have to uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of additional work, particularly on soft costs. Uh, the bathrooms in in the main building are probably going to have to all be redone. Uh, certainly, case goods. We don't want to change the charm of the great room and the restaurant and that kind of stuff, but certainly it needs to be made more contemporary. The cottages, we want to upgrade the furniture, uh, the golf course, some work. It's, it, the course is in pretty good shape, but we've got some drainage issues there. We've got some trans, sand trap issues. And then beyond that, so we, you know, so we think that 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 part is probably 15 to 20 million dollars, maybe a little bit more. But we're going to have a property that's worth significantly more than that once we make that investment. Uh uh, so, you know, we've, we've done this many times before in, in creating value, but I think the other thing is that this, at this stage of my career, this is also a legacy project. This is there for my kids and my grandkids. And one of the reasons why having Beer River or First Nations as partners is they think long-term. So I know I'm not going to have a partner that when we create value is going to come back and say, Hey, let's, let's cash in. So. In addition to the work that needs to be done to the existing property, uh, we clearly have expansion plans. We've done our initial drawings for uh, condos, which would be done on the Annapolis Basin side of Shore Road. We own about 12 acres there. So we've got, I think, some very stunning uh, condos that would be developed. And we've purchased about an additional 22 acres behind the property, which will allow us to put a combination of about 100 additional cottages and vacation villas. Uh, The intention is that these will not be residences. They'll be investment properties where people will have use part of the year. But for the balance of the year, they'll go in the rental pool. Uh, And then once we do that, you know, we're going to have to add additional facilities because the infrastructure won't handle the people. So we'll put another restaurant on site. Uh, we'll probably put an indoor pool and enhanced exercise facility in. We don't want to lose the outdoor pool. We think that that's very charming. Uh, we're right now doing some work on putting a, uh, a microbrewery and pub in there so that we've got uh, a place a little bit away from the main building where our, our folks can go and have a bit of entertainment in the evening without disrupting the main, uh, the main body. So, yeah, I mean, we see the potential over the next five to seven years for 100 to $125 million in new investment uh, uh, in the pines. 
Uh, we're we're going to get back to those plans in a second, a little bit more. But <clears throat> we wanted to find out how how did you first get involved with Bear River uh, in the acquisition of uh, Digby Pines? So maybe you can tell us about the current ownership structure as well. The current ownership is seventy five percent Bear River, and twenty five percent a company that's owned by myself and my son and my longtime partner Ted Good and his son John. We have a management committee. All decisions of the partnership have to be unanimous. And my firm, Packram Hospitality, has the management contract for the property. And on development, we share on a 50-50 basis. So I think it's a pretty equitable arrangement. Uh, As far as Bear River, the province has a protocol that when they sell uh, property, that they bring in the closest First Nation, or there may, may be more, but in this case, it was only Bear River. As I'd mentioned, because of my experience with First Nations across Canada, I invited Bear River uh, to become a partner of the property. I felt that Indigenous tourism is uniquely positioned at the moment. Clearly, there's opportunities for funding and other programs that you're able to do with First Nations that you're not able to do mainstream. Because of our desire to go year-round, we felt that the additional benefits that Bear River had from a a product and a product development perspective was very, very interesting. As you may be aware, part of that area of Nova Scotia is designated, I think, as UNESCO World Heritage Site as Dark Sky. Well, our take is we'll do Dark Sky, but we're going to do it from a Micmac interpretation perspective. So there's a lot of different things that we can do that really enhance uh, where our first, uh, you know, where our Bear River partners uh, We've been having conversations, you know, they have access to seafood. Uh, We're working with one of their members right now on a soft adventure camp back next to Toby Attic, which we'll be able to utilize for day trips for our customers. Just a myriad of things. And for us to be successful in Digby on a year-round basis, it has to be by creating experiences and programming. It's not because people are going to go up there for winter sports. So there was a number of factors, plus, as I said, our previous very positive experience working with First Nations. Glenn, um, you told us uh, uh, in an answer to a previous question about the potential 100 to 125 million in new investment. You told us about some of the elements of that, which are very, very impressive. But I wanted to ask you about this issue of year round. Like, what what are the plans uh, in the sort of off season? How, what kind of thing are you going to offer? What kind of services are you planning to offer to draw people down there? Uh, you know, Digby's not sort of in the main uh, on the main uh, the main highway. No, I mean our our four our four pillars are authentic experiences, contemporary Nova Scotia food and beverage, sustainability, and uh, and our human resource uh, development. So the key thing there has got to be all about experience. So whether it's things like cooking school, whether it's winter sky interpretation, uh, whether it's bringing groups in, we've found that the local market, and by the local market, I mean from Yarmouth to Kentville, will provide significant opportunity. When we built the Super 8 in Truro, for the first two or three years, our biggest winter market was Pictou County. And Basically, it was people from Pictou County who came to Truro. We had an indoor pool and water slide. The Empire had seven theaters. Brutabaker was there. So for people of modest means, that was sort of their winter break. 
We lost that business when we built the Holiday Inn Express, but we see the same thing. We see doing different kinds of weekend experiences. We think our cottages, uh, we're going to be launching very shortly a marketing campaign. Uh, Look for some billboards around Halifax in the next three or four weeks where we're going to feature that sort of cozy getaway in the cottages with the fireplace and we're developing special room service menus and activities. Uh, Our pool, we're going to keep our pool open. It's an outdoor pool heated to 80 degrees, so it'll become part of our spa experiment. Uh, Our great room is very, very quaint. And uh, once the HVAC is done, we can use that again. We can't, the building's not properly pressurized, so (laughs) the room would be full of smoke, but we see doing a lot of activities in there. So it's all about creating experiences. We'll continue to do meetings and, and that sort of thing. And then things like Christmas and Valentine's will be the month of love and St. Patrick's Day and March break. And so we'll look for all of those sorts of opportunities to build themes. We don't expect that we're going to blow the doors off in the first year. But the bottom line is by closing in November and opening in April, it costs $1.2 million a year to put that property in mothballs. If I can make that period break even, it adds $12 million in value to the asset. So even under the worst of circumstances, I have to believe that we're going to reduce that operating loss. I do believe that... uh, And we've seen more and more this uh, authentic experience is what people are looking for. And we've got, you know, we've got the First Nations to work with. We've worked with Hal Terrio and his group on uh, the clear shore with theater and and that kind of stuff. We're looking to work with this fairly sizable black community up in that area. So we see working with those groups. We can do theater. We can do concerts. Digby Hall can hold about 250 people. We have a stage. Uh, so really, it comes down to how creative we are. Uh, I'm not so concerned uh, about the weather. We don't have a huge amount of snow up there. We're only a couple of hours away. You have groups like Chinese students in Nova Scotia who do group uh, group tours around the province during the winter months. So we'll work with some of the tour operators to put packages together. It might be a wine bus, but it might be a 250-kilometer wine trip to Digby and then you'll have your experience. Clearly the food, the food and beverage were were blessed in that there are a few places in the world, if anywhere in the world, that can provide the combination of seafood, produce, and wine that we can in Digby. Other places may have other kinds of seafood, but you know, with the scallops and lobster and other sorts of things, we've got a great chef up there. We've had a, a, our culinary team uh, And we are a classic culinary team. There are not many kitchens that you can go in where you'll see 20 or 30 cooks and and support staff working dinner. Glenn, just a quick follow-up on the the cooking school. Is that a partnership with the Nova Scotia Community College or is that more of an informal uh, type of project? We are, no, we are working. We are working to formalize a relationship with Nova Scotia Community College. And I hope that we'll have an announcement on that within the next 30 to 45 days. But we do have a lot of students from NSCC that uh, work with us and, and Mount St. Vincent that work with us through the summer. Clearly, the Digby Pines is an important economic driver for Digby County and indeed all the province. In terms of economic impact, how many jobs does the Pines uh, provide the local economy? And can you put a, a, a dollar m- number on the, uh, on the wages annually? Well, this summer we had 160 employees. So we were relatively well-staffed. I think we probably 
we're better off than many of our competitors. Uh, we recruited early. We do have residences on site. I would have liked to have about 190. There were services that we would have liked to provide this year that we, we didn't. We expect that that will go to 250 to 300 staff members. So, uh, and that's going to make the, the payroll at the Pines. Right now, it's probably about 4 to $5 million. It'll probably go to 8 to 10. Uh, the current economic benefit, given the multiplier used for the hospitality industry, is probably about $25 million into the local and surrounding economy. That wouldn't count uh, because we've tried to, with the renovations and that sort of stuff, use as many local trades and, and firms as we could. I know there's an electrical firm in Yarmouth that did the true that we did two years ago. They did all the electrical work and they were the made subcontractor for train on the HVAC. HVAC. So there's a lot of uh, spinoff. Clearly, there's a very significant opportunity for the tax base for the town of Digby if we build out as we suggest we're going to do. We realize that we're probably going to have to build accommodation. That's the biggest, the biggest challenge that we have right now. Recruitment is tough, but it's even tougher in a rural market, market like Big B where there's no, way, no place for people to live. We've, all of our facilities are full. We've got about 60 or 70 on site. Uh, we think to particularly get young people that if we can provide subsidized housing, apartments, and that kind of stuff. So uh, we're going to, you know, that's something that we're going to have to address. So, you know, when I was talking about some of the things that we might do, it doesn't include any of those ancillary sort of things that we have to do simply to support the business model. Uh, you, you know, you, you've talked about spending over $100 million over the coming years. And um, uh, obviously that's going to create development jobs. Uh, do you have any idea about the number of jobs that are likely to be, you know, in supporting the capital investment that you plan over the next uh, number of years? Because it's going to be pay, be phased in, I would say that it probably will support 50 to 100 construction jobs. It's difficult to say what the spinoff is going to be because when, when we do projects like that, we do turnkey. We're not just building the building. We're providing all of the furniture, everything that goes in it. Plus, because we're going to manage the assets for the owners, we have to staff that up and everything else. So uh, I, I would think construction is probably about 50, 50 people per year. And as I said, I, we think that we can take the staffing to somewhere in the 300, 300 uh, area. So, Glenn, you uh, obviously have a, a big supply chain in the area. You need food. You need all kinds of other goods and services to support uh, the, the resort, uh, do you have a sense for our, for our listeners of what your, uh, annual spend would be on goods and services in Nova Scotia? Well, we certainly, as I said, I mean, we try to source everything that we can locally. It's probably operating supplies right now. It's probably three to $4 million a year. I would expect that that will increase significantly because we're a resort property, a significantly higher proportion of our revenue comes from food and beverage. Uh, and as I said, we try to source just about everything that we can locally. Again, it's becoming a bit of a challenge because we're finding some of our traditional sources of chicken or apple, not apples, but chicken and honey and that sort of thing are beginning to retire and there aren't as many people coming into the marketplace. Uh, as I said, we, we see our food and beverage product as one of the 
absolute key pillars of how we're going to build this. So uh, it's a pretty, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a big operation and it has, I think, a significant impact on the area. I know we've had from the people that I've spoken to in the community, they're quite positive that, uh, you know, it'll take a couple of years, but that this will have an impact because hopefully more businesses will stay open longer. And uh, could I just jump in there? Uh, sorry, uh, David, with a question. Um, we haven't hadn't put included it in our intended questions, but uh, what's the reaction been in the community to your plans? Well, I think that people are are pleased, but I think that the the Pines has had an on again off again relationship with the community. Certainly, we want to feel we want the community to feel that we're a force for positive, that we are going to create not just economic spinoff, but we're going to be active participants in the community by supporting all sorts of things that are there. But my experience with this sort of thing in the past is people are going to say, we've heard all this before. Let's wait and see what they really do. And I think it's the same with the staff. I mean, we told the staff when we came on what we were going to do. But at the end of the day, their belief in us is going to be based upon what we actually do. So what I say to people is you'll just have to watch and see if we deliver on what we say we're going to do. And I think as we do, uh, we'll see more and more support, but we've got about 120 members of the golf course who are local and they're incredible. I mean, when we had all the storms last year, they volunteered to come up and help clean the golf course. We've got another member that lent us a backhoe uh, for us to do work on the sand traps and have told us whatever you need. So, you know, we've already seen this sort of very, very positive experience. Our uh, Chris Dontremont and Jill Balser have been I mean, we generally don't go to government looking for money, but we're looking for them to help expedite things. And we've found that our elected officials, which I would never probably have the same sort of relationship or need to call on in Halifax or an urban area, but in a rural area where you don't know your way around, they've been very, very helpful. So, yeah, the experience has been very positive. So you've outlined very ambitious plans, long-term plans for the Pines, a very exciting uh, opportunity there. I just wanted to ask you a couple of specific questions. We've heard a rumor about a possible casino. So if you could comment on that. And the second one would be, what are your plans for the golf course longer term? As far as a casino is concerned, my partner and I, Ted Good, we had 65 hotels. We could have put VLT machines in every one of them. It's not a space we want to be in. Okay. When I had Holiday Inns in Newfoundland and we had VLTs, the social damage that I saw them do really struck home. So we don't need to be in that business. Uh, I can't speak for Bear River, what they may do, but certainly as far as the existing Pines is concerned, there are no plans for a casino. As far as the golf course is concerned, our plan is to keep the golf course and uh, to improve it, but we're not going to change the character of the golf course. Unfortunately, I made a tongue-in-cheek comment that I might turn it into vineyards, and somebody took me seriously. But uh, the golf course is, I mean, it's an intimate part of the Pines, but it drives significant amounts of business, right, uh, for the hotel. And if we're thinking about doing condos and vacation villas, it's going to be crucial. I mean, we'd like to do, we'd like to do our own farm, and we'd like to do some vineyards, but it, it won't be 
where the golf course is. Everybody can breathe a sigh of relief on that one. Uh, just a follow up on the golf course, which I have played a lot over my lifetime. It's a good course. Um, is there any room to develop uh, real estate on the course itself? There is. I've thought about it. Uh, when you get over around the back holes, the property that's next to us, the owner has a woodlot, so he's just left a strip of trees between it. So from an aesthetic perspective, that would be difficult to develop in the, in the near term. Uh, but I do think that there are parts of the golf course that we might do some selective. It wouldn't be heavy, uh, but we could we could do some uh, some real estate there. But that that's probably on un- unless something unexpected happened. I think that that would be five years plus out before we would look at that. Uh, I wanted to ask you about kind of where your visitors are currently originate from and how do you anticipate that might change now that you're open year round? You, you reference the sort of the local market for year round. I understand that, but can you give us some idea about where your customers are coming from? I, I know that the ferry is fairly important to St. John. I'd, I'd like you to comment on that as well, because obviously ferries are a hot topic in that end of the province. Well, they are, yeah, they are. I mean, we have uh, we have obviously the property, uh, the True by Hilton in Yarmouth, and we have the Digby Pines. So the ferries are very, very important to us. Even though they don't operate year-round, they bring in incremental traffic at a high, high premium. And in our business, uh, every dollar in revenue you generate in rooms, 90 to 95 cents of it goes to the bottom line. So when you can get that international traffic who are not as rate sensitive as, and you have the, the uh, exchange premium, it could mean $30, $40, 50 per room per night. So it is very, very significant. Our business has predominantly been from mainland Nova Scotia and southern New Brunswick. St. John is, and so that, that southeast New Brunswick is a very, very strong market for us. We market uh, and work quite, quite closely with Bay Ferries. You know, our shuttle probably from June up until now is down there pretty well every day with anywhere from 10, 20, 30. It, it's right because our, our check-in time is at four o'clock, but one of the ferries get in at 11 and we'll usually have 20, 30, 40 people in the lobby at 11 o'clock who have come over from St. John. I'd mentioned earlier, we're going to be doing a billboard program. The billboard program is in Halifax and St. John. So that's very, very important. So those have been our two main markets. And then over and above that, Ontario, probably we saw a lot more traffic from Ontario this year, quite a bit from Quebec, uh, some from the U.S. We, you know, we'll be sitting down with Bay Ferries to talk about how we work uh, closer on the marketing. We do think that uh, that, that U.S. traffic uh, will continue to build. I mean, it's a big market to advertise in, and you can't go back in there after you've been out for two or three years and expect to get the same result. We just met there this week, and we're talking about the European market. We think Digby and the product that we have to offer with the indigenous tourism, the culinary, the experiential, Great Britain, Germany, Scandinavia, Austria, Czechoslovakia are huge markets for us, so our people will be attending Things like Rendezvous Canada, World Travel Mart, we'll work with the province uh, on that sort of thing. And one of the other things that I want to mention about the ferry, because 
you know, I, I was chairman of Tyans when this became very controversial about four or five years ago when the Nova was there, which maybe wasn't the best ship. But I think that the other thing that you have to think about is I know these people up in Yarmouth, you know, the tourism operators and that kind of stuff. The difference in the mindset of the community when that ferry is operating as compared to when it isn't. You may somebody may think that twelve or thirteen million dollars is a lot of money, but I think the spin-off often, if you did a proper study, would show that that's recovered. But I think the the amount of money that government would have to spend in other sorts of support services like mental health and unemployment and everything else would far outweigh the cost of the pure positive attitude that it creates within people in the community, and they want to do stuff and they want to open businesses. You know, Acadia spent $18 million to build that true hotel down there. It'd be questionable whether you would think about doing that if you thought about all of that incremental revenue during the summer was going to be sucked out. The same thing is true for us at the Pines. We look at that ferry business and we determine how we're going to sell our inventory during the summer differently when the the ferries are operating as compared to when they're not. We've got even the rose right now, I think, is off from the 14th of October till the 7th of November for, I guess, annual maintenance or something. That's going to impact our business. So you've got the economic impact, I think, but you've also got, I think, the social impact of a uh, very positive impact of of, uh, of the CAD in particular on the uh, Southwest Nova. We also believe that there is significant other development in Southwest Nova. We think it's a part of the province that's within relatively easy reach of Halifax that has uh, some pretty significant uh, different types of tourism. I mean, non-traditional types of tourism, but we do believe that there are great, great opportunities up there. I I just wanted to mention a couple of things because when I owned uh, my company, I did work for Bay Ferries and we did research to try to uh, uh, put a number on expenditures and you know it wasn't it wasn't a pure impact study but we were able to to prove a number of years ago that the uh, their the, the the revenue gained in the province far out, out, out exceeds the cost of that ferry service people never don't hear that story very much glenn the other thing about that ferry that maybe people don't under, understand is that it's also or it used to be at least i don't know what it is now because i haven't seen recent numbers used to be a, a, a great uh, route for buses coming up from the U.S. And like I, I think uh, at least historically, the Pines had a pretty good bus trade. Uh, those, are, those are important clients because they take up a, a lot of rooms at once. Um, and uh, I don't know where your bus trade is right now, but I'm assuming that that would be still an important opportunity for the Pines. Yeah, it's very. I mean, Tauk Tours has been with the Pines for... I think we are Tauk Tours, which is one of the biggest tour companies in the States. I think we're their oldest supplier. They're very, very busy. They come in. They stay with us two nights. They have all their meals. They take box lunches. Uh, so there's a lot of spinoff. And, uh, you know, the, the motor coach business continues continues to be important. And I think that there are a lot of other things uh, that can be done. But, you know, uh, my... Before we got involved with the properties up there, I felt that the ferries were important and people didn't necessarily look at them the right way. 
it's not a zero sum game with those things. Uh, but now that we're up there and operating and investing, uh, there's no question that uh, that it's it's very very important to the business and to the uh, to the area in general. I just want to get back to something we've already touched on, but I, I'd really like your opinion on um, what are the biggest challenges that you must overcome to become really a year-round destination? I mean, you, you mentioned the fact that if you close, it costs you money. You might as well stay open and see if you can recoup some of that cost. But uh, you know, what would you, maybe this is a better way of asking it, what would you define as success to be able to you know, operate as a year-round business? Well, I mean, success I defined as being by the, by being best in class. I mean, it doesn't matter whether I've done a super eight or I'm doing whatever it is. I want to be the best at what we do in that particular category. So that's that. But I mean, for me on an annualized basis, as I said, would be to rate, be rated as one of the top 10 resorts in Canada and for the property to run 65% occupancy, which is probably 120 percentile of what a typical resort would run in the winter and to have a, uh, a positive impact on the community up there, uh, not just the Digby Pines, but the community overall, and to provide a non-ramp for young people who want to make a career in the industry because, you know, you don't hear many people, many parents saying to their kids, well, you should become a hotelier, you should become a doctor or a lawyer or something else. But I know from experience that as far as satisfaction and, you know, uh, success and everything else that you may measure a career by, I've been very, very fortunate. So it is a wonderful, a wonderful business. Our, our biggest challenges are just like everybody else. It's not just finding staff. It's finding committed staff. We can train them, uh, but it's very, very difficult. Almost all of, uh, all of the staff that we're hiring now, 80% have probably got to come from outside the region. This year, we had almost 30 employees from South America, from Chile, Colombia, and Mexico. That was a godsend. We're trying to recruit Ukrainian. Very, very hard. We had When we had the Radisson in Halifax and the Bosnia's crisis took place, we were able to tap into the Bosnian community. Absolutely exceptional. Hard workers, they're here because they want to get, you know, they they want to get English as a second language and get accredited in whatever their discipline is, but it takes them two or three years. And when we can get them in our hotels, they're outstanding. So the biggest challenges for us is attracting the right talent and having a place for them to live. Just a couple of quick questions left, Glenn, here in the interview. I, I wanted to ask you, what is the biggest change that your guests will see at the Pines over the next few years as a result of your redevelopment? Well, I always say that we truly know when we're successful, when our customer goes and stays at a comp competition and all of a sudden realizes that all the things they come to accept as for granted at the Pines aren't happening. Really, when we can anticipate our guests' needs, and we use a, uh, I use three or four objective benchmarks to measure success. The two most important ones are satisfied customers and engaged employees. And we have benchmarks. I know what the industry averages are. When we can score over 90% in both of those, I know that our customers will walk across nails to stay with us before they'll go to the competition. So, you know, last year when I looked at our Medalia scores, which is our customer satisfaction, all of our complaints were HVAC, running toilets, carpet. We're going to, we're going to complete those 
Now I know that we're going to have a whole bunch of new complaints because people are going to go down. Then you fix those and you keep doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it. And that's the biggest thing for us with our staff is to train our staff not to react, but to anticipate our customers' needs. And uh, I'll know when it happens, but we're not there. We're not quite there yet. You have to bear with us a little. Glenn, I had a, an opportunity to uh, participate in a golf tournament. Uh, you call it the Cabotier. It's in support of your, I guess, uh, one of your main charitable endeavors called Give Kids uh, the World Village. I, I'd like you to, to just talk about that uh, nonprofit organization. I know it's really close to you. And, and maybe tell us about, you know, how did you get initially involved? Because I think it's a, it's a great thing for you to do. Give Kids the World is a, uh, is a themed village in Kissimmee, Florida. Uh, it was founded by a Holiday Inn franchisee, a gentleman by the name of Henry Landsworth, who was a Holocaust survivor, who initially, when he found out that children with life-threatening diseases wanted to go to Disney World, he would offer them free rooms at his hotel. At, some, at one point, he went to the Holiday Inn Corporation to ask for a loan to buy the land and develop this theme village, which is called Give Kids the World Village. It currently has about 140 villas. So when a family goes there, they get their own house and they put a sign on the driveway with the name on it and everything is paid for. So Disney World, the airfare, all of the food and beverage, the park is themed. So you've got characters and they do things like, um, you know, American or Canadian Idol, uh, ice cream for breakfast every day. So the IHG, Intercontinental Hotel Owners Association, is a big supporter of the organization. So I got to, my wife and I got very, very, got to know them up close and personal. We got to uh, volunteer there. And the village is hosted about 170,000 families so far from all over the world, 60 or 70 countries. Canada is the second largest beneficiary after the United States. So whenever you see somebody who through the Children's Wish Foundation or the Children's Miracle Network is headed to Disney World for their wish, Give Kids the World are the guys that are making that possible. They stay in the background, so it's the local organization. So when we have that event at the Digby Pines, every community that we operate in and potentially every community in Atlantic Canada or across the country has the opportunity to benefit. Normally, we didn't this year, but we'll next year. We'll have a family with the child who's been there. Uh, it's very, very touching. Uh, it's a charity for me. I know that some charities, there's you know, you can't participate. Like World Vision is something I participate. But this is something where you can actually go and see the impact. When you see the kids in this village, all of with life-threatening diseases, it's like reality is suspended for them for a week. And we felt that Give Kids the World, because of my affiliation, but because it touches every community that we operate in, and it's very easy for people to connect with it. Uh, so that, that, that's uh, one of our three main charities that, uh, that we support. And our, as I said, our golf tournament each year, all the proceeds goes, goes to that. 
Well, you know, I, I just learned about that uh, through the participation in the in the golf uh, tournament, and I was impressed by your support of it. And I want to congratulate you and your company for getting behind such an important cause. Uh, Glenn, we would really like to thank you for providing our listeners with an update of what's happening at the Digby Pines. You know, it's one of my favorite places. I, like, I, I'm anxious for what, what's coming. Um, and I, I invite everybody who has not been to the Pines um, to uh, experience uh, that special property. And we want to wish you every success in your efforts to uh, in the development uh, of that uh, great, iconic uh, resort. Well, thank you, David. Thank you, Don. I really enjoyed having the conversation and uh, I look forward to seeing you at the Pines during the off season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Thanks so much, Glenn. You've been listening to the latest episode of the Huddle Insights Podcast. Mark Legere helped produce this episode. You can follow the show and listen to past episodes on podcast platforms like Apple and Spotify. And if you've enjoyed listening, please recommend the show to a friend. Don and David will be back again next week.